Good morning again uh, to all of you. Always great to see all of you, especially those of you who are guests again. I want to thank you for making us a part of your Easter celebrations. Uh, We really do hope that you feel at home. Uh, Before I get into the word, I want to briefly give two shout outs. One is a celebration. The last week on Sunday here at Every Nation Rosebank, we won church with four services. We saw 22 people make a decision to follow Jesus, and on top of that, another 23 get baptized in water. That deserves an amen. And the last uh, shout-out is actually an invitation to you. Uh, As of next week, we start a four-week series on the workplace entitled uh, Work, a Prison, or a Place of Destiny. You don't want to miss this one right? We want to help you for four weeks get the tools you need to make your workplace a place of destiny. Bring your family, bring your friends. It's going to be an incredible ride, and so looking forward to seeing you over the next four weeks. Uh, When I was a kid, maybe about in standard three, my dad got into a head-on collision uh, with a truck, and um, you know, nearly died, went to go see him, and on my way to go see him, I was quite, you know, nervous, scared, you, all the imaginations I could possibly have in my mind regarding what would happen were running through my mind. Walked into the room, a whole bunch of people were there, some family members and, and some doctors were there, and there were pipes all over his body. And uh, he wasn't able to move, he wasn't able to talk, but he opened his eyes and he gave me a look. Now, my dad had given me some looks before. <laughs> you know that look when the eyes seem like they're about to explode? And you know, if you smile the wrong way, if you say the wrong thing, for the next 24 hours, you will not feel any sensation in your butt. Uh, completely. You are out of it. But this, fortunately, was not one of those. He gave me a look that he had rarely given me before, rarely gave me afterwards. And in his look, I could tell he's going to be all right. I knew. He was telling me, kid, don't worry, don't cry, I'm going to be good. No matter how much the doctors tried to explain to me what had happened before or what would need to happen, no matter how much my family members tried to console me, to tell me everything was going to be right, I knew that 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 he was going to be all right. Why? Because I had seen the expression on my father's face. There was a certainty that could not be shaken by the things that I saw around him. There was a clarity of thought that was made clear because of the expression of my father. Today, as we speak about the resurrection, I want you to know that there is nothing that brings any more certainty or clarity than the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes completely everything. You see, it's not the prophecies about Jesus, his life, death, or resurrection that bring certainty. It's not even his teachings, as wonderful as they are, that bring certainty. It's not even his miracles that bring certainty, but rather it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that affirms all those things and brings certainty to our souls. Because of the resurrection, we know that his prophecies are true and powerful. Because of the resurrection, we know that his teachings are meaningful and are from God himself. Because of the resurrections, we know that his miracles are beyond question and are beyond reproach because of the resurrection, because the resurrection changes everything. 
Today, I want to speak to you about the power that changes everything. That through resurrection, God releases into our midst a power to do two things. One is to let go of your past. And two is to take hold of your future. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to be at John 20 um, as an intro, but I'm going to spend most of my time in John 21. I want to look at John 20 verse 1 to 9 as an intro to paint a picture of the moment of resurrection. And John 21 will be our main text as we look at the life of Peter. Uh, If you don't mind with me, I'm going to read the text for you. Do you mind standing out of reverence for the word as we read the word? Let me read it for you. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he said he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Father, thank you for your word. This morning we pray that you would give us the grace to hear it, and the grace to obey it. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Thank you. The last few weeks we have been talking about Peter. How Peter came up empty while he was on a boat trying to find fish. And it took a word from Jesus to allow these fish to come out of the boat more than the boat could carry. To be successful, you don't need a lot of things. You just need the word. A word from the king. A word from the resurrected king, and when he speaks it to you, you do what he says and watch what he does. We also spoke about how Peter had what we would call an epiphany, but the Bible calls a revelation from the Father, where where God told him that Jesus was more than a man, that he was actually the Messiah, the one sent by God to save Israel and to lead Israel into the kingdom of God. He moved from that revelation, and he had a moment with Jesus, which we spoke about on Good Friday, when Jesus looked at Peter and said, listen, you you are going to disappear when I get crucified. When tough times come, you won't stay. You will deny me. I'm convinced that if Peter was alive today, he would be a closer man, because the way he was responded (laughs) was typical of how I would respond. You know, closer people say, amen, this is a good time right now. And Peter looked at Jesus. The moment Jesus said, listen, you're going you're gonna to deny me, Peter looked, ha, ha, me. Ha, ha, never. Me. Never, ever. ever. Oh, sounded like Mandela. <laughs> Jesus denies Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times. And in that moment, whilst they are in this courtyard of uh, Cepheus, Ke- 
Jesus is getting flogged, and in a moment, Peter has a glimpse of Jesus' face, and he's struck in the inside, and, and he, he runs off and he disappears. So we don't hear from Peter until this moment in John 20. All of a sudden, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and he realizes that the tomb is empty. Now, it's, it's quite important that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. If I was a disciple in those days, I would not have said that Mary Magdalene was the one who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. I wouldn't. Because in that time, the, the eyewitness of women would not be accepted. They were classified as people who are way too emotional to tell the truth. Now, I didn't say that. I want that to be clear. This was in the Bible day, way back in Jesus' day. And so a woman was considered to be a low part of society. You would never say that a woman was an eyewitness if you wanted to fabricate the story. The resurrection must be true. Otherwise, the disciples would have, would have positioned the, the, the eyewitness of the resurrection in a way that would have favored their story, but they didn't. Walks in, sees the, the empty tomb, the, stole, the stone was rolled away, and she's amazed, goes back, goes find Simon Peter. Now, here's what I want to say to you about the empty tomb. Jesus did not need the stone to be rolled away for him to get out. A few verses later, we find Jesus walking into a locked house. He didn't need the stone. No. The stone being rolled away was for you and I to come in, not that he could get out. The reason why the stone had to be rolled away... Hear me for a moment. The reason why the stone had to be rolled away is that God wanted you to know that you are allowed to come and investigate for yourself that the king has risen. You are allowed to step into the tomb, look at the clods for yourself, and figure out, just like Peter was when he walked in, figure out, is this true? Christianity is not a religion that allows people to think without reason. It calls you to reason yourself into faith. And once you get into faith, you believe that even though he says things that I don't understand, I've seen the risen Lord. Peter and John run to the tomb. The guy who writes the book, John, gladly tells us that he outran Peter. I don't know. Now... If you look deeper in the text, you'll realize because Peter was depressed, he had too much McDonald's. So he was a bit slow to run to the tomb. Now that's just, you need to look deep. They get there. John runs, and he's faster than Peter. Peter gets there just after John, and he goes into the tomb first. Now this is a side note, has nothing to do with the sermon. Here's what I'll say to you. There might be people in your life who are more skilled than you, faster than you, better than you. But listen, when it comes to the moment of decision, you are called to outcourage them. You don't need... It doesn't matter if the person next to you seems to be better than you. When the moment comes, when everything seems uncertain, you as a believer are called to step in, put your hand up and say, who will go into the place of confusion? Who will go into the place of uncertainty? I will... And though they got there before you, you get in first because you know who's present with you in that moment. And so Peter gets in. He investigates, as I told you, and he, and he begins to reason for himself what on earth has just happened. Later on that day, they see the risen Lord coming into the room as they're sitting down as a disciple. We don't have a lot of information as to what happened in that moment. But John 21 begins to explain 
why Peter moved from being a depressed, Jesus-denying, shameful individual and how he moves into Acts, Acts 1 all the way to 12. He is the main character of the book of Acts. He starts to speak and thousands of people get saved. He walks along the street and his shadow touches those who are sick and people get healed. How did he move from a shameful individual, depressed, discouraged, running away because of fear? How did he become the man that he became? John 21 explains, and I want to break this down into two moments, that in this moment, God released a power upon Peter that he still wants to release today over 2,000 years later. And that is the power to let go of your past. Regardless of how big, small, heavy, shameful your past is, there is a power that is given through resurrection that allows you to let it go. But he also gives him a power to take hold of his future. John 21, verse 3 nine. Here's what happened. They, they were waiting by the mountain, waiting for Jesus to come back because Jesus said, just wait for me. I'm about to come. How many of you are still waiting for Jesus to fulfill some of his promises? The risen Lord is coming. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. This was an occupation that he used to do, and now he's going back to it. They said to him, well, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing they had stayed out the whole night trying to catch fish came up with nothing just as day was breaking Jesus stood on the shore yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus Jesus said to them children do you have any fish and they answered no and he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they did. They cast the net, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Next verse. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they, got out of the, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. What happened? Peter is with his disciples in the boat, and they're coming empty. They're trying to fish. Nothing is happening. But he finally recognizes that it's Jesus. And when he recognizes that he's Jesus, he, lives, he leaves behind the barrenness of the boat, and he gets into the water 100 yards, and he chases after Jesus. He leaves everything behind. Peter had come back to the boat before, but this is the last time we hear of Peter ever fishing. He leaves everything behind in this moment, chasing the resurrected king. Seth Trimmer says this about saying yes to the Lord. He says, every yes needs to be followed by a thousand no's. In that moment, when Peter saw the resurrected Lord, he said yes to him. But in order for the yes to have its work, he had to have a thousand no's behind him. Saying no to the, to the desire of getting many fish. Saying no to what he used to do. Saying no to his shame and guilt. Saying no to, to, to his hang-ups, to his habits. All those things that had kept him for so long. Today, he had to say no to those things because whatever you say yes to, determines what you say no to. Ten years ago, I stood right here on the altar before we had the stage, and I said yes 
to my wife. And since then, I have had to say many other no's. Now, if you're a handsome fella, you have to say a thousand no's. <laughs> but if you're like me, you just need to say like seven or five of them, you'll be all right. <laughs> and here he is. Peter runs to Jesus. And when he gets there, he's, he's soaking wet. All he can see, he's not concerned about whether his garments are wet. He's not concerned about whether he's left his friends on the boat. He's not concerned about the 153 fish that they've caught. He is just thinking about the king. When he gets to him, he finds that Jesus has set out a breakfast for him. And in this breakfast, he's doing fish. Now, this is a reenactment of the moment where Peter denied Jesus. In, in John 18, verse 18, what had happened was is that Peter was uh, in, in this courtyard. Jesus was about to get beaten, and people were questioning Jesus. And in that evening, there was fire all around because it was dark. And in that moment, Peter denied Jesus. But now when Peter runs to the water, he finds Jesus has set up fire. Why? He's reenacting the moment where Peter denied him. And in that moment, the resurrected king speaks a new word, changes everything in Peter's life. I like what Brian Stevenson says about all of our lives. He says, I've come to understand and to believe that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. What is the worst thing you've ever done? Well, today, there is a breakfast for you. A reenactment of whatever it is that you've done. And he places you in that moment so that he might speak a new word to your soul. Changes you from the inside out. Colossians 3 says this about moving and letting your past go behind you. It says, you were dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then... Here's where the resurrection comes in. Though you are dead in your sins, dead in your transgressions, though you are dead in your depression, sadness, dead in a marriage that seems to never get out of the boat, dead in a situation in your workplace where everything seems to not be working, though you are dead in those situations, here's what the resurrection does. It makes you alive. It resurrects what has been put to death because of sin. The resurrection forgives all of your sins. That word sin is translated into transgressions. It, it, it is when you deliberately do something knowing that it's wrong. He forgives that. Then he cancels the record that was held against you. That when you sinned, even the, the most innocent sin that you did when you were a kid, when you sinned, there was a record that began to be kept against you because now you are deserving of death. He cancels it. He takes it away. And then it says this, that he, because he is risen with power, he's able to disarm the power of the rulers power of the authorities that have tried to hem you in. He puts them to public shame because of the victory of the cross with him having risen from the dead. Jesus has released a power called grace upon your life. So that like Titus 2 verse 11 and 12 says, you 
through grace that has appeared to all mankind, can be able confidently to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness. He releases that power to you. The second power that he releases to us is the power to take a hold of our future. The power to take a hold of our future. Now, they're in this breakfast moment. They're having a discussion, and it's an interesting discussion at that. Jesus starts off by saying to Peter, hey, Peter, um, do you love me? I want you to know this is happening publicly now. Everybody can hear this conversation. Everybody knows why he's having the conversation. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, I do. And he says, well, I want you to go feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't just say it once, twice, but three times a later. <laughs> I had to put it up. My wife is here with my mother-in-law. So I had to make sure my mother-in-law knows that she's three times a lady. <laughs> he doesn't say it once. He doesn't say it twice. He says it three times. On the third time, Peter says, but Lord, you, I know you're the resurrected. You know that I love you. You look into my soul. You tell me if I don't. You should know. And how Jesus responds is powerful. He doesn't try and comfort Peter or curb Peter. He responds in verse 18 of John 21 by saying this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Next verse, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? What about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I've never seen this before until yesterday, but in this text, in these brief verses, Jesus outlines how you and I can take a hold of our future. He gives four very basic principles of how we can do it. Here's the first one. He says, if you want to take hold of your future, you need to love God. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, or do you love what I can do for you? Do you love me, Peter? Second one is that you need to obey God. Peter, go feed my sheep. I don't know what Jesus is saying to you right now, but you need to do it. And somehow we've, we've believed that in order for us to come into our purpose and destiny, we must look within. Whilst the Bible tells us, in order for you to come into your purpose and destiny, you must listen to the voice and obey it. Feed my sheep, Peter. Go and obey me. Then he says to Peter, you must endure suffering. You will suffer greatly, Peter. I want to say something to you that might be hard for some of you to hear, and maybe some of you have never heard from a pulpit before. There are some of you in this room that are going to suffer greatly for the kingdom. Some of you in this room are going to lose everything because you said yes to one thing. Some of you in this room might lose your life because you said yes to following Jesus. I want you to know that he's risen. 
You see, Peter, when he denied Jesus the first time, was scared that he would die, was scared that he would suffer. Therefore, he denied him. And in this moment, Jesus is looking at him and he's saying to him, Peter, because I've risen from the dead, no one has to be afraid anymore of death because it's just a doorway into eternity. You don't have to be afraid of suffering. You don't have to be afraid of dying. You just need to endure by keeping your yes to me. Lastly, he says to Peter, Peter, you need to focus. Why? Peter looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, what about this guy who keeps talking about himself in the third person? What about this guy who keeps reminding all of us that he got to the tomb first? He keeps reminding all of us that, man, he's the one at the table who leaned on your chest and said, who will betray you? He's the one who wrote in this book and he said, You know, Peter ran away, but I stayed and I comforted Jesus' mother. What about him? Isn't he going to suffer a little bit like me? (laughs) Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, what is it to you? What is it to you? What I do to John, what is it to you? Funny enough, John, actually it's not that funny, but John, John is the only one out of the disciples who doesn't get martyred. But instead, John gets boiled alive. What is it to you, Peter? Though John survives his boiling moment, what is it to you what I'm going to do through him? You just follow me. Do what I have told you to do. It is impossible humanly impossible to do these four things it is absolutely impossible we can try by our will to do these four things and take hold of our future but it is impossible because your will can only last to the point where your will fails you the only way you can do these four things is if the power of God supersedes your will If the power of God dwelling inside of you becomes the thing from which you live your life, from which you love, obey God, from which you endure suffering, from which you focus on the path that he has called you to. The next text, it says this, Paul is trying to remind us of this power that dwells within us. In Ephesians 1 verse 19 to 20, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Watch what he says. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That Paul is saying what you need to realize in order to do in order to take hold of all that Christ has given to you, is that you need to realize that there is a power that dwells in you that is exactly the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You don't have some miniature power because of your background, ethnicity, because of your issues and your problems. You have exactly the same power. That's why he holds you to a high standard. Because he expects you to trust in his ability, not in your own. Be holy because I'm holy. He knows you can't do it. Thus, he's released the power from the resurrection so that you can do it. I want to end by saying this. When I was in in Korea, I played basketball. I was very bad. Don't ask me to play with you. And uh, 
play basketball and golf, both of them very bad. Um, but my senior pastor, Pastor Simon Saar, went to the same university as this guy, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, the best NBA player of all time. When there would be seconds remaining in the game, and they were behind, Chicago Bulls were behind, everybody in the stands knew where the ball is going. Everybody in the opposing team, the coach, and their wives all knew who is going to get the ball. It is Michael Jordan. And sure enough, the play starts, and they pass it to Michael Jordan. He fades, and he throws, and he scores. Chicago Bulls win again the championship. All of creation keeps looking towards you. All of heaven. All the witnesses in heaven keep staring towards you, screaming, give him the ball. Give her the ball. All of your enemies, Satan himself is fully aware that if you get the ball, it will be trouble. Fully aware. And here's why. It is not that when they look at you, they see how beautiful, how capable, how skilled, how, how filled with all these wonderful things and degrees that you have in your life that you will make the shot. When they look at you, they see something that you haven't seen in yourself, that inside of you dwells the resurrected king with all his power and might. Therefore, everybody is screaming, give him the ball. And the only thing that stands in the way of you making the shot is you believing that the power that rose him from the dead dwells inside of you today. He is risen. He is risen. Therefore, Adam and Eve doesn't have to hide behind the fig tree. He is risen. Therefore, Noah and his family can get out of the ark and come into a new day. He's risen. Therefore, Pharaoh must let the people go and the Israelites must get into the promised land. He is risen. Therefore, Abraham doesn't have to sacrifice his son. He can take the sacrifice of the lamb. He is risen. Therefore, David does not have to be afraid of Goliath. He can stand triumphant over Goliath. He is risen. Therefore, Jeremiah can go back to Jerusalem, build the walls, and everybody can worship in the temple. He is risen. Therefore, Mary Magdalene doesn't have to be ashamed anymore. She doesn't have to feel guilty anymore. He is risen. Therefore, Peter no longer has to hold a grudge against himself. He can forgive himself and step into destiny because he is risen and the resurrection changes everything. And today, and today, Today, you can be a part of that everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again. We cannot do what we, you have called us to do without you. Today, our eyes again look upon your resurrection. We are in awe of your love for us. Thankful for your grace towards us. Appreciative of the power that dwells within us. That allows us to be more than what we thought we could ever be. We declare, Lord, today again that you are risen with power from on high. Nothing can stop the train of your glory. If you're here today, and just like that moment when I walked in to my father's room and I saw his face and everything changed in my soul, I want you to know that today the Father, the Heavenly Father, looks at you, wanting you to know that it is okay 
to come to Him with all that you have, all that you've done, all that you feel, all that you think you are. If you're here today and you have not given your life to Jesus or you gave your life to Him, but you stepped away and today you want to come back home, I want to encourage you to not let this moment pass you by. If that is you, you know your heart is beating. You know thoughts are running through your mind. This is that moment to say, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to make a decision to follow you with all of my heart. If that is you today, you shoot your hand up and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want to return home to the king. Anybody here who's saying, that's me. I want to give my life to him. Be, be courageous right now, wherever you are, to just lift your hand up, lift it right up high. Say, Lord, that is me. Amen, sir. Anybody else who's saying, that is me, Lord. Don't let this moment pass you by. Anyone else who's saying, that is me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Family, can we stand and pray together? <clears throat> I want to ask the man who gave, put up his hand, if you wouldn't mind being courageous enough to come and join us in the front. We just want to pray for you and celebrate you. And so as he comes up, can we just give him a hand? Anybody else who wants to come up? You know you need to give your life to the Lord. You know you need to make right. You can join us up here. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, all right, family, there's more joy for one. More joy for one that comes into the kingdom than anything else. So, Father, we give you praise. Yeah. Hallelujah, Lord. So we're going to say a prayer together as a family to, to affirm and encourage this moment. I want to encourage you to say this prayer after me. There is no magic in this prayer. There, there's only the commitment of your heart to the resurrected king and that changes everything right now in this moment. So let's pray this prayer together. If you can pray it with me. Father, today I give my life to you. I let go of my past and I take hold of my cross. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the Lord and the Savior. And today, I declare that I am saved and that I have new life in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.